Well, if you are a guest with us, we are studying uh, Romans. This is Memphis. Uh, missions, uh, our missions emphasis, missions conference, it used to be called conference, but it's really our missions emphasis. And it's not just an emphasis on, we want to learn about what's going on with our missionaries. And it was, it was, it was a very good time with uh, our, our missionary this morning in Spain. Uh, Spain is his launching point. Uh, he goes and ministers all over uh, he just got back from uh, Moldova and Romania, and now he's headed back out in another couple weeks. Uh, Going to go to Poland, uh, some of the places that I've been, because uh, I, I was able to go and do some ministry in Poland a few years back, and that was a blessing. Very young churches in Poland. Um, but the beautiful thing, one of the things that um, not only that Jim shared is uh, about how the, the Russian community, the believers, are taking care of their Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you see how the gospel changes all culture, right? The gospel, what Christ has done for us, changes all culture. And it tears down the dividing walls of our hearts. And it gives us a new perspective. Christ In Christ, we have something that the world cannot supply. One of the beautiful things of that was was hearing about uh, being on the front lines as Rick was telling us that Ukraine had one of the fastest growing churches, uh, believers coming to Christ. And the one of the things that stuck with me, and we were talking about it uh, as we were praying for the service, was that one of the things that really stuck with me is that they... He goes, you know, I don't know what God's doing, but you know what's really neat he is, is that God is taking all these believers and sending them into the world. We've seen God do that before. The, one of the reasons the gospel came to America was persecution in London. One of the reasons that the gospel came to London was because of persecution in Rome. One of the reasons that the gospel came to Rome was because of persecution in Israel. You see how the gospel has just flourished under great persecution, just look at China and all the underground churches. Just look at Russia and all the underground churches. And it's amazing to see what God is doing. And, and I'm hearing a lot of that same testimony from a lot of the missionaries that I know um, in and near Ukraine. Um, and so uh, they say that the church is just growing. And not church as an organization or as a religion, but as a body of believers that trust in Christ as their Savior. It is just the family is growing, is a better way to put it. Not the, just the church, but the family, the body of Christ. And so God is doing miracles. And so even though we live in a really struggling time and uh, we see the world in distress, we have a great God. And so as we start uh, in, in our Roman, in our study in Romans, just, just that testimony is amazing this morning, that what God can do in the midst of the greatest problems that we see. God is always at work. We can believe that. We can trust that. God is good. We can believe it and we can trust it. He is holy. He is set apart from all sin, destruction. He has answers to everything. He, he knows it all. He is above all. And he is working in and through all of this. And so what an amazing testimony we heard this morning. As we go to this, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless uh, this time. 
it is my responsibility as we kind of, we're not really, this is our last Sunday as far as Mr. Ephesus, but we want to encourage you to keep giving. Our goal is, is for the rest of March and the first part of uh, April is really to continue to give. Uh, we want to set aside some funds to bless our missionaries as they come home on furlough because many of them have not been home to recharge and to rest, and uh, they require missionaries to do that after like four to six years, and many of them have not been able to come back. And so we want uh, to continue to encourage you to give, and we're going to, so we can support and have a gift ready for them, not because they're coming to our church, but because we just want to give a gift and say, may this be used for your rest before you go back into the fray of ministry around the world. So my job is to challenge you this morning, and what better way to do that in the text that God has been given us in Romans chapter 1. Not only just to challenge us, um, I don't want to challenge you to know more. I don't want to challenge you just to be a good Christian. I want you to be challenged on what has God called you to be. Who are you? Paul really defines that in our text. He defines, he says, look, this is, I am not the Pharisee I was. I am not this, I'm not that. I want to challenge you. Paul starts off the, the book of Romans with a challenge of this is who I am. And it's a good question to ask yourself. Who are you in Christ? Has God changed you? And so I want to challenge us as we look at mission and we think about our mission as the body of Christ. What are we called to be? Paul defines that for us. And so let's jump into that. And before we do, and as we read verses 1 through 7, but again, just looking at verse 1, um, and it's beautiful to look at these statements that Paul proclaims. Let's ask God to bless it. Lord, many of us have had many problems. There are people hurting physically, emotionally. There are, we live in a culture that is hurting. Many of us are rubbing shoulders with those that are hurting. Many of us struggle with just perceptions and assumptions or just things that are going on around us. We are distracted. The schemes of the evil one um, has, are in play and uh, to get us to mourn and to, uh, Lord, to be distracted with problems and the cares of the life. What will we eat? What will we drink? Where will we sleep? We see people dealing with many of these things. And so, Lord, as we do that, sometimes it's easy to be discouraged. I pray, Lord, this morning that you will challenge us. Not um, Maybe we'll be convicted by some of the things that we learn about Paul's statement through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, Lord, may it encourage us to know where we need to be and where we need to go and the strength that you provide, the very purpose that you have given us. May it empower us this morning. We ask all these things through the power of your Holy Spirit to teach and lead and guide our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, as Paul writes to the Romans, he desperately desires to be there as he's, in, he's in teaching us about the gospel and how it looks and how it affects 
our life and how does it transform us. Paul says this, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who is who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who is designated as the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of the faith according uh, among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ." To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are some powerful statements as Paul is defining who he is, and then he defines who we are as a body of Christ. We've seen previously that our identity is a slave. Paul saw his identity was He was no longer a slave to his culture or a slave to his previous identity, but now he is a slave to God. We talked about what that means, um, that he was now being, he was purchased by the very blood of Christ, taken out of slavery of sin, but now he's a slave to God. He is a part of God's family, but also that we see our call, that not only did Paul identify himself And then later on, us as a slave of God, but he called to the body of Christ. We are called ones, called to be saints, called to be holy, called to follow God, called to be a part of God's family. We're not called to be a part of a culture uh, apart from God, but called to be a part of God's very family, called ones. That's what he was talking about. Now we see this new aspect that we have a new calling. We have this new purpose, and that is to be set apart. And this morning he goes, having been set apart for the gospel of God. Being set apart, what does that mean? To be set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that came from God. To be set apart to the gospel. What does Paul saying, well, it's important to understand what what does set apart mean? There's this definition. Set apart literally means to mark off a boundary. In our our text, uh, or in the front of the bulletin, it says drawing a line in the sand. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've just drawn the line in the sand and said, no more, right? You've marked off and you said, I am not over there anymore. I am over here, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, sometimes, you know, there's always been, a, you know, a situation where you draw a line stand. If you come across, watch out, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about, do you just draw a line in the sand? And you say, no more. I'm not going there. I'm going over here, right? Sometimes we set up those boundaries. I've, I've tried my best to set up boundaries at our house, right? We have boundaries. We have fencing, my, my, my steers have a funny way of finding out where those boundaries are, right? 
uh, they, I set up this fence, right? And they said, no, the grass is better on the other side. So what they do is they lean over the fence, they push on the fence, they keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Finally, there's this big U in my fence, right? And so what do they do? They jump over the fence. So I put up barbed wire. <laughs> you know, test the boundaries again. They did, and they didn't like it. I put up a new electric fence, right? I tripled the, the power going to that electric fence. I put up a can. I tied a can, an aluminum can, to the fence. It was shiny. It sparkled. You know what all cows do when they see something new? They lick it. They don't go near that boundary anymore. <laughs> right? We set up boundaries. The word set apart means to mark off a boundary to be set apart. And literally in the Greek, it means to set up this boundary for a special and specific purpose. So when the Greeks use this word, they would say, so as Paul is saying this, he's saying, look, I have been set apart. There is this boundary that's been set up and I have, a speci- I have a specific and very special purpose for my life now. And he says it's this. He says, having, I have, because when God saved him, God set him apart right then. So having been set apart, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. That's where he's at. He said, now I, I have set aside all this other stuff. I'm, this is no longer who I am. I am now a slave to God. I am now called as a believer, a Christian, right? A little Christ. I've been called to be a saint, one separated now for God. Set apart is for this special purpose. What's very interesting to realize, did you know that the word Pharisee shares a common root with being set apart, to be set apart. So the Pharisees took the word of being set apart, and they took it and they made the term Pharisee for that reason. We are the Pharisees. We are the set apart ones. But the thing was, is they weren't set apart to God. They set themselves apart for the law or traditions. So they would carry this idea that they took, you know, the, the, the Pharisees took the Ten Commandments. And from the Ten Commandments, they set aside, they said, we're going to be set apart. And they have now over 12,000 rules that they have made of don'ts. There's not a lot of do's. It's almost all don'ts. Thou shall not. 12,000 rules from the Ten Commandments. Imagine that. So what they were there, the Pharisee was set apart for law and tradition. They were very specific. They were all focused on the outside. But that's not what our text is talking about. The Pharisees were not set apart by God or for God or according to God's standards but rather they set themselves apart according to the standard of their own rules and traditions. It's where we get the word Phariseeism or legalism. It's funny because legalism can point to two different things. It can be point to just focusing on changing the outside and never changing the inside, just living by a bunch of rules, but really not having a relationship with God. Or you, legalism can also 
be completely on the opposite side where you just live solely for yourself, to appease yourself. Paul, by his own testimony in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, says Paul said that he was, as the law, a Pharisee set apart for the law, one separated for the law and by the law. But after the dramatic, when he was introduced to Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts, when he met Christ, he then became separated to something completely different. It was no longer about the law. In fact, he realized that Christ did everything that the law couldn't. He was no longer set apart to follow the law, but he was in love with Christ. This idea of being set apart, this word Paul now uses for his commitment, it's showing his purpose and commitment to the gospel. But before he met Christ, Paul was set apart as a Pharisee. He regarded himself as someone who was set apart. You know, and if we look at the culture we live in today, or we even look at religious culture, there's a lot of people that say, I'm set apart for these good things. Very religious or very knowledgeable of being good, and they're set apart. And I'm going to set apart this time and do a bunch of good things. And they focus on the outside and traditions and and church, but they're not necessarily set apart as someone who is called by God or a slave to God who's separated to the commitment and purpose that God has laid out. We get so entrapped by the things of the outward nature. Our heart gets just pulled away by the things that we see and feel on the outside. You know, there's a very foundation of this understanding of being set apart. This is not something new. By the way, did you, under, did you see in verse 2 of our text, we're going to jump into a little bit of the next couple weeks' messages, but verse 2, it says, which this gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is he talking about? The gospel that was promised in the Old Testament. Did you know we were promised the, the gospel in the Old Testament? Now, our culture presently in our day and age tries to get rid of the Old Testament. They say, oh, it's not for us. But no, the gospel came from the Old Testament. He points us back. Did you know that this idea of being set apart for the gospel originated in the Old Testament? What does it mean? In fact, he goes on to write, Paul writes in Romans 15, verses 4 through 7, he says, For whatever was written in the former days, talking about the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. As we look at the Old Testament, it gives us hope as we see God fulfill each of his promises. That what God promised the gospel in the very beginning and the mission to be called to God was from the Old Testament and it's being fulfilled in the New Testament. Being set apart for God's mission was always from the beginning. We talked about that last year out of Genesis. God expected us 
to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth and, and to be about God's work. Like in verse 6 of Romans 15, he goes on to say, And together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You see the, the emphasis of the gospel here? God, Christ welcomed us into the family of God because of the good news of what he did on the cross. And he's saying, welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you in the gospel. Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. To glorify God. To do his mission. To do what he's called us to do, to be set apart for the gospel. He also says that to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He gives all these testimonies of all the things that God expected of Israel. And he says now in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, now all these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction to teach us on whom the end of the age has come, to teach us and lead us to Christ. As we see this foundation, we see several important things. These lists and these verses are not exhaustive. There's, I, I, started, I got over 100 verses in, and I decided not to give them all to you. Okay. <laughs> I will tell you this. 1 Peter chapter 2 really actually en encapsulates all of them. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, but I decided not to just use 1 Peter chapter 2 so you can see that it's the same message through all of the New Testament. What I mean by the foundation of being set apart was what God is calling to us now is what God has always called us from the very beginning. That was always God's plan. To be set apart, special for God himself. Did you know when God saved you, he set you apart for something special? Deuteronomy chapter 26, 18, when he was talking to Israel. And he says this, And the Lord has described today that you are a people of his treasured possession. When he called Israel out, when he separated Israel and set them apart, he set them apart to be special for himself, to be treasured. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, he said this, to Titus, God says, who gave himself, that's talking about Christ, and when he died on the cross for our sins, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. So Titus was right up here. Or I mean, Isaiah was right. <laughs> right? What is our mission? To be zealous for God's good work. But here's the thing. Did you notice that we are separated to be set apart for his own possession? Paul got it. He says, I'm no longer a Pharisee that's doing everything for myself to make me look good. Now I'm set apart for God's special position. I am no longer my own. I am God's. 1 Peter chapter 2 Verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race. Verse 10, he says, but now you're not just anybody or any people, but now you are God's 
very own. We are set apart, special for God, to be God's special treasure. We are set apart for God's special presence. You know, God's presence, God's Holy Spirit, His glory. We were set apart for God's special presence to enjoy it. He says in 1 Kings 6, he talks about it. In Exodus 29, he talks about it. In building of the tabernacle, he says, I want you to build this tabernacle so I will dwell with you. In John chapter 1, he says, we beheld God's glory, verse 14, the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And, and it says in 1 John 1 and that he dwelt among us, tabernacled. He, his presence is with us. Ephesians tells us in chapter 2 that he gave us the Holy Spirit to be a guarantee that he has saved us, that he is with us. We were set apart as God's treasured people to enjoy God's presence. It's talking about that special relationship we talk about all the time. You don't, we don't go to church, read the Bible, pray, sing songs for, to make us feel good or we don't do it to be good. We do it to have and enjoy that relationship that God set us apart for. Set apart for God's special presence. Did you know we were set apart to be priests? We don't go to priests to connect to God. We are given His Holy Spirit, so we directly connect with God in that special relationship. Exodus chapter 19. By the way, did you know in the Old Testament that God had called everybody to be priests? We don't think of that. We think that, well, God set up the, you know, the Levitical priests, and he, he, there was people that were set apart, and they offered all this, and, and the Catholic Church and other religions, they borrowed that, but they, but they don't believe. They said, we're not priests. That's not true. Exodus 19, verse 6, he says, And you shall be, talking to the whole nation of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a whole kingdom of priests who connect everyone around to a relationship with God. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You shall speak the words of God to one another as priests. In fact, in, back to our main text in, in showing the foundation of being, what does it mean to be set apart? In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, he says, But you are a chosen race. We already looked at that. A royal priesthood. When we come to Christ and God saves us, when, when he sets us apart for the gospel, we are his priests. We are his ministers. We are set apart for God's gospel to be ministers, to share God's message with everyone. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, as you walk around in this life, as you go, make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't matter where you go, who you talk to, who they are, share the good news. We are a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation. You notice that what Peter is saying, what God is telling us, not only what he told the nation of Israel, he's also telling us the same thing. Not only that, but we, in the same verse, that we are set apart to be holy people. You know, that's funny. We are set apart to be set apart as holy. <laughs> Do you know holiness means to be set apart in perfection or it's in God's perfection. God is the only holy one. We are supposed to be set apart in his holiness. That's why he who is holy makes us or conforms us to his holiness. We are not to be conformed to anything else but God's holiness. That's why Paul was saying, and that's what the, Paul, God was saying through Moses in Leviticus 20, 26. You shall be, verse 26, you shall be a holy people to me. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from peoples that you should be mine. God has said you are to be set apart for my gospel to carry this message, but you're to be set apart as holy, not without everyone in their culture, but to be in my holy culture. If you notice on the front, it says Romans. It talks about two cultures. We live in two cultures. The second culture has many cultures under it. We have a culture of holiness that God has separated us to, God's very family. The other culture that we have in Romans is the rest of the world. Here's the thing. We are either being influenced by the world or we're being influenced by our heavenly Father who is holy. Which world defines you? Which world is, which culture is infiltrating your mind, your heart? What, is it stealing away from what God has called you to be separated to? This is why Paul was admonishing the church in Corinth. Because the church said, hey, we're saved. Now we are going to be like our culture. Rather than being separated to God's culture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, he says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't put yourself with, an, with the culture of an unbeliever. Don't connect yourself to where you try to have everything in common with them. That's, it's impossible. It's oil and water. For what partnership, he goes on to say, has righteousness with lawlessness? If we are in God's family and we're supposed to pursue righteousness, that's God's righteousness, God's holiness, then what are we doing patterning ourselves after unrighteousness or lawlessness? He goes on to say, what fellowship has light with darkness? If we truly have the light of Christ in our life, guess what it does to darkness? It dispels darkness. I don't know, have you ever walked into a dark room with a candle or your light on your phone? What does it do? It exposes or expels the darkness. Yeah, what fellowship? Can't, light and darkness can't have fellowship because darkness will either stuff out the light or the light will snuff out the darkness. 
What, and then verse 15, what a, a accord has Christ with Baal? Can, Baal was, baby, was basically a worship, an idol where they would go and take and they would abort their babies and throw it on the idol and burn them. Some still alive right out of the womb. We have modern-day Baal worship today with abortion. What, how can Christ, who is life, who is the author of all life, not only our physical life, but he's the author of our spiritual life, how can Christ have any fellowship with that? And yet we see that today. Or what portion does a believer, he goes on to say, shares with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple. We are, each of us are the temple of the living God. As God said, by the way, and then he quotes Leviticus chapter 26 that we already read. And also Exodus 29. And also Isaiah. When he says this, I will make my dwelling among them. And I will walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have this promise, beloved, and so see, Paul connects back to the Old Testament foundation And now he's telling the church, he's saying, look, that's our promise, that God will dwell with us, that we are his people, and I will welcome them and have fellowship with them is what he's talking about. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. See that? When we fear God, when we love God, when we fear God and we turn to God and we separate ourselves from the culture of this world, we have what what theologians today called a proper biblical worldview. We view everything based on what God has called us to do. We base everything about being separated to God. We don't base the world on the things that are happening in the world. How do we bring holiness to completion? How do we allow God to work in our lives? By having a proper understanding of the awesomeness of who God is. A proper fear. We set ourselves apart in relation to the world. It was God's plan to be different. We ought to be different. People ought to look at us and say, you're weird. Right? That's why I walk around and tell all the kids, you're weird right? We shouldn't be normal. If we look like the world and we're normal to the world, something is wrong. (laughs) We should be weird. We should be strong because the Lord is different. Deuteronomy chapter 7 talks about this, being different from the world. Verse 2, he says, You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. Right? As they went in to take the land, God says, I've given you possession of this. He said, look, don't make covenants with them. Don't make 
Don't pass, try to pacify them. And he goes on, he says, verse 4, he says, For if you do, he says, for they will turn away your sons and daughters to follow from following me. We see it in the we see it all the time where the world yanks our families apart to not follow God anymore. But you and it says, verse 5, it says, But you shall deal, you you deal with but thus shall you deal with them. You shall, talking about the world or the, the Canaanites, the, all the ites that are around Israel, all the different cultures. And he says, you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and their, their burn their craven image with fire. You shall get rid of it, remove it. Make it about the culture in Israel about me, your father who is in heaven. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6. In fact, he quotes some of the same words here. How about Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 17? How do we do it? We need to be separate. God's calling us to be separate from our culture Verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must, command there, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They're futile in their minds. They don't think correctly. Verse 18, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. Why do we are so worried about how the world does something? We should be more worried about our Heavenly Father who has understanding of all things. Isn't that funny how we worry so much about what the world thinks and does and yet they're futile in their thinking? Their understanding is darkened and yet we worry so much. Verse 19, it says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practices of every kind of impurity. We see that today. If we follow our culture, it leads to complete debauchery. But this is not the way you've learned Christ, he says. Assuming that you have heard about Christ and were taught about Christ as the truth is in Christ. Look what he says in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and now to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Put away those things, separate, and follow hard after God's righteousness, His likeness. Look, it says, the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. He goes on to say in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. Do you partner your mind with the culture of this world to follow after them? To what, what makes the church good? Is it the things of this world and the things that they do? Does that make the church better? Or is it the gospel? Is it the good news? Is it what Christ has done for Do we realize how horrible we really are in the flesh, that we are not good, but that God is good? 
And he loves us. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why partner with this when we can have that? Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of being in Christ is found all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth is found in Christ. Who are you going to pattern your thoughts and actions after? We need to separate ourselves from the culture of this world. And in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In the fact, as we pursue Christ, we expose the untruth of the, gospel, of the culture of the world. Don't be culturally cool. Why are we so hard trying to be cool in this world? It doesn't make any sense. God alone is awesome. Awe-inspiring. That's what awesome means. Cool has been co-opted from awesome. If you look at the gen- how it's been, the etymology of the slang cool, right? When it came in, it came from this awesome experience. Cool, dude, right? Back in the day, I remember those days. Yeah, it just gets co-opted from one generation to another. Right? Don't be culturally cool. Be set apart for God's gospel. Do we want to be accepted by the world that's going to be destroyed? Or do we want to be ex- ex- accepted by God's righteousness that gives us his fruit of joy, peace, happiness, gentleness. Everything the world wants. Everything that they're doing that they they think they're going to be cool so they can receive all these things and they never have the fruit that they want. We expose that by being set apart for God. And the more that we love God and we're set apart for God, the more fruit And they see that, and they're like, whoa. They're weird, but that's amazing. That's so awesome. You notice how whenever trouble comes, and as a believer, we survive that trouble, everybody goes, wow, that's so cool. Why? It's because of God. Not because of us. So what does this mean, this foundation of being set apart? We see what set apart means through the whole Old Testament. Now it's being commanded in the New Testament to be set apart, to be a partner of God's word of sharing the gospel, being separated for the gospel of God. Why are we set apart? For the gospel, Paul says. Not any gospel, not any good news. Gospel just means good news. You've never, uh, that's where we get the word evangelical. It's from the Greek word um, evangel or evangel, evangel. It's to be, it's good news. Good news. We are set apart for good news. We are not set apart to be cool, we're set apart for the gospel. 
You know, you realize if you go back to what meat set apart really means and how the Pharisees took it, before in Paul's life, he was separated from all manner of things. He was separated from don't do this, don't do that. And he had all these rules. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, Philippians 3 says. He was the best of the best at being set apart. He was definitely different, right? He was so set apart, he killed Christians. Paul was set apart from all manner of things. And as a result, he was self-righteous, narrow, cruel, and obsessive. Sound like our culture today? Yeah. It sounds like things that happen sometimes infiltrates the church. And the things of the world infiltrate the church. But afterwards, when he was set apart for the gospel... When that was his mission, his goal, if you read Philippians 3, his one goal was pursuing Christ and the gospel that was given to him. That was his one goal. If he could not preach Christ, he said, let me be accursed. George Whitfield, known as one of the greatest preachers in North America, said this, if you want to be a good preacher, preach Christ every day. That's your whole message. Just preach the gospel. He said afterwards he was separated. So Paul, after being saved, he said afterwards he was separated unto something. He was separated to the gospel. That separation was positive. So sometimes when we talk about separation, we see it all as negative. But Paul is saying here that it's something amazingly positive. It was expansive. It was joyful, yet very humbling to realize how good God is and how horrible we really are. Paul never got over that divinely produced transformation of being separated from his sin and separated unto God. Do you realize this is where we miss as a church? If you remember everything, we're separated unto the gospel. Many times people come to church to separate themselves from sinful things. A lot of times you go to church and you develop, and it's all about outward experience. Whether you like the music, whether you like the PowerPoint, which I can't stand PowerPoint, so somebody does it for me. (laughs) I I get so lost in PowerPoint. But here's the thing. you come because you like this, or I have a friend that goes to church, and, and your heart is drawn to very worldly things, culturally things. It's all about a culture that you like. And we, it's amazing how many times we separate ourselves from things. We go to church, and I'm like, I'm not going to be sinful like the world And if I go to church, I will separate myself from that. It'll help me to separate. But you miss what Paul is saying. He's saying, that's who I used to be, but now I'm separated. I've set up boundaries in my life, and now I'm separated to the gospel. You know what we do as a church many times? We create a boundary to try to make ourselves good. And what we do is, but we forget to turn and run to the gospel. Paul says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. Paul did not find it difficult to leave his Pharisee ways. It was easy because he had been called to something. He'd been called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He had a new purpose in life. 
He had a new message. He had the good news. He was called from something to separate, to run to something. Maybe you've realized that you need to separate yourself from your sin and you called upon the name of the Lord to save you. You realize that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. That he rose again. He conquered death. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He has all authority. And you have to give your life to Christ. You realize that, that there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to have a relationship, to be restored to God except through Christ. And you've separated yourself from your sin and you're sitting there saying, okay, where are all the blessings? We're not separated to sit there. We're separated to run to the gospel. We're separated for God's glory, for God's purpose. Whatever you do in the Lord, do it for the Whether word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17. Many other verses tell us the same thing. Everything we're doing is for his purpose. That's what Paul was saying. He says, having been set apart for the gospel of God. It's that same separation that we saw and that Rob was saying in Psalm 1. Paul had found true positive separation just like the psalmist had in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law he meditates day and night. He has been separated from something and to something by the power of God to a life with God. Been separated from sin and the culture of this world. And yes, and we've been separated to God's gospel. New life, new creation in Christ. The boundary, the line in the sand, is to separate us. When God called us to his family, when God saved us, when we became a slave to God, it was to separate us and to protect us. So we can continue to pursue what God has given us in the gospel or through the gospel. We were called to be separated to pursue the gospel. How do we become more holy? Pursue the gospel. How do we become a better church? Pursue the gospel. How do we grow? How does God grow the church? By us being set apart to pursue the gospel. We are not set apart to look good. We are not set apart to just act like religious people. We're set apart to be gospel people. Run to the gospel, live the gospel, talk the gospel, proclaim the gospel. We are to be in the gospel. It protects us. It insulates us from the culture. When things go 100% wrong in your life, it's the gospel that keeps us going where we need to be. I like what... Paul said to Timothy, who struggled as a young pastor, Paul says this in first, or 2 Timothy 1, 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of your testimony about the Lord. Maybe some of you have been there. I'm ashamed of my testimony, my story about my life, and about the Lord. 
And he says, don't be ashamed, nor of me as a prisoner, Paul says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, who called us to his holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his very own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He's talking, he's talking a set-apart language for the gospel. Steve Lawson, he said this, modern-day theologian, preacher, said, by these three designations, slave, called, and the one who's set apart, Paul is wanting there to be no misunderstanding about who he is and how we need to be. He is merely a messenger of the gospel. Not its, he does no authority. He is simply a servant and slave to the gospel, not the originator of the gospel. He has been dispatched by God to bring this saving message with great clarity to his readers. But let there be no mistake. He is only the messenger of a much higher authority, God himself. In turn, his readers must receive the truth that follows as from the throne of God. You must not think that this is just about an apostle and we're not apostles. This is what God made Paul to be. And you've seen from the foundation, as we've described this morning, that it's been God's desire for us to be his special possession, to be his people, called to be set apart, to be holy, to be different from the world, to be called to the gospel. How do I become a better Christian? I have people ask me that. I, I want to be a better Christian. How do we go back to the gospel? Be Perfect the gospel, know the gospel, live the gospel, carry the gospel, talk about the gospel. Know what God has done for you and what he's continuing to do in the gospel. You must settle this matter. Who is your master? If that, ma- if that is not set in stone, that you are a slave to God, if he is not your master, you're going to struggle. Because the world is going to give you a lot of things to be your master. You must recognize that if you have, that you have been called by Christ to his family. And you must purpose, you, finally, God has a purpose for you in service of him in the gospel. Our message is not to be cool and to be like the world, to try to draw the world to the church by being cool, be fashionable, be... All these things have good messages or short messages, not like me. <laughs> but right is, don't be like the world, Romans 8, 7 through 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We need to understand our purpose is a gospel message. Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant to Christ. How do I be a good Christian? We do not draw the people of the world by being like the world. 
Be like Christ. Pursue the gospel. We call the world, all the cultures of the world, we call the world to God and God's message of being reconciled to God by the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5. Be reconciled to God. And he's called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to call others through the gospel. We are separated for the gospel. That's our mission. As we finish Missions Week, that's my challenge to us. Not just to you. I had, I had to wrestle with this for three weeks. Am I fulfilling that mission? Am I separating myself for the gospel? Are you proclaiming the gospel in your life, by your life, and through your life each day? It's not to give money to support a missionary around the world. It's to be called to the gospel. That's who we are. That when we are called and when we separate ourselves to the gospel, it be, the freedoms that God gives us is amazing. The worries melt away. The chains of this world fall off. And as we suffer, it doesn't drag us down because that's, as we suffer in this world, as we experience the sin of this world, we have another destination that we're going to. And we have a river of stream of water that restores our soul in the midst of suffering. God's word and God's spirit helps us, comforts us, gives us great joy. Just like we read in Psalms 1, that we will be planted by the streams of living water, refreshed. Isn't that weird? That we are refreshed in the midst of pain and suffering? Well, then if you don't experience that, separate yourself to the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your call in our life. And I pray, Lord, that it would bless many to see what our mission is to be called to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would bless and that it would grow our church, not in numbers, but that we would have refreshed souls, great spirits, that we would not be frustrated with the world, but we would be anxiously waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming and returning to take us home for eternity. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of the world. We are not called to be like them. Help us to restore in our life the calling to the gospel. We need your help to not be so distracted by the world, to worry about the world, but to be in love with our Heavenly Father. Oh, that we would love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.